This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. You are listening to the Business Samurai Podcast. Growing a business is hard work. The faster you grow, the harder it is to keep yourself on the right path. Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast, where we break down the fundamental skills necessary to become a well-rounded leader as you continue to conquer the world in your business. The best business-related podcast as you captain your own destiny and rise above the noise. To help your growth strategy in simple terms you will understand, you will learn the best metrics to track, how communication is the lifesaver when it comes to business, and how good policy will fix the weak link when it comes to cybersecurity. People, listen in on conversations with world-class business leaders and how they manage growth and integrate the latest technology. We will deconstruct their processes on how they choose to advance themselves, their team, and customers. You are stepping into a world of proactive business with your host, John Barker. Good, John. How about yourself, man? Doing excellent. You know why? It's Friday. Well, it's also Friday, but we got cybersecurity royalty in the house today. Absolutely. Been looking forward to this. Yes, this is uh, Mr. Chuck Brooks. Chuck Brooks is named top tech person to follow on LinkedIn with over 77,000 followers. And I got that today, so it's accurate. (laughs) Top two global security expert, influencer by Thinkers360, Top 50 Social Influencer and Risk Compliance by Thomson Reuters, named Top 5 Executive to Watch in Cybersecurity, two-time presidential appointee under former presidents Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. Under President Reagan, Chuck was Special Assistant to the Director of Voice of America, and under President Bush, he was appointed as the first Legislative Director of the Science and Technology Rectorate at the Department of Homeland Security. Chuck is an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, president of Brooks Consulting International, and a regular contributor to Forbes, the Washington Post, and until recently served on CompTIA's New and Emerging Technologies Committee. Chuck's list of accomplishments are so long, he has two About Us pages on his website, if you go check it out. <laughs> and we're really privileged for him to take some time out and talk to us today. Chuck, uh, thanks, thanks man. I appreciate it. Talk about an yeah, introduction, well, Chuck. Man, one. that's a lot of stuff. I, well, well I, I'm curious with all, you know, with the accolades and all of that, do you have like a wall in your house um, that you just kind of got them plastered up that's like your uh, vision uh, board? Well, I what, do have a wall in the house, but it's got all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> no, just, uh, it's, it's my office. <laughs> stuff that you'd probably do on, typically on a yeah. Friday afternoon. It's mostly sports memorabilia. <laughs> uh, hey, right there with you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, your, your list of accomplishments and, and you're well known within the cyber cybersecurity community and technology community that goes, you know, without saying, but one of the things in, in, you know, having followed you over the last several years, and it's been a while since, uh, last conversation, you know, had a conversation, what was kind of the, uh, what kind of got you started? Where, where did you get into the cyber field and, and that become the big interest yeah. where you're now the, the thinker <laughs> of thinkers? That's a good question. I mean, actually. It started when I was at Department of Homeland Security, and that was, gosh, in 2003 and 2004. Uh, when we created the Science and Technology Directorate, it was, uh, you know, meant for you know, chemical, biological, rad, nuke, explosive, primarily the main threats. But cyber was sort of one of the side things they were doing. Okay, well, let's look at 
at the interoperability and cyber and other issues. And, and you can see where the country is going, you know, connectivity and digital. And it was just early on. So I, I dove deep into it uh, with the labs and with our, our people there. We had some pretty good experts. And it's just uh, really, I thought this was the future, and I, I guess right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and since then, I worked in, in a variety of, uh, of you know, private sector uh, world uh, in that area with uh, SRA and Xerox and most recently General Dynamics uh, Mission Systems, where I've been uh, working with uh, cybersecurity technologies, scouting them and, and uh, the whole gamut, and then also teaching at Georgetown, where I teach cyber risk management. Uh, in also in the Applied Intelligence program too. So it's, I'm immersed in cybersecurity for the last decade and a half. Absolutely. Real quick before we move to, to current stuff, um, what does it take to become politically appointed by a president of the United you know, States? You know, it's probably different now that. than it was back then. Um, you know, I was by accident, I think, that I got my first appointment. I was at a party. <laughs> So there's this Washington Post. Uh, okay, now the, now the real story comes I was at a party. Okay, I, I okay. met a, a retired lieutenant general named Daniel Graham. Uh, he's now deceased. May he rest in peace. But he was former deputy director of the CIA. And he was former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency and a brilliant guy. And um, he, I was just new to Washington. i just done, done an internship, and I wasn't enough. I was going to stay in Washington, go back to Chicago. And he said, you know, I think you'd be a good fit into the, the new administration. And so would you like – would you like to do serve? And I said, sure. And he said, well, let me find out. And uh, next thing I know, I'm appointed to Voice of America uh, as assistant to the director of it. And uh, that's where it all started. <laughs> and I haven't left Washington since, but it was that's how I got my first appointment. The second one was really because of my involvement uh, in, in those issues and security issues and technology issues. And in uh, Governor Ridge, also, I worked for uh, uh, Pennsylvania Senator, uh, our inspector. I knew him. And so it was, a, it was a sort of a natural fit. So, uh, you know, it was an interesting point in, the, in the, the country part. But it wasn't, it was politically appointed, but it was really more of a presidential appointment, not based on my uh, activities in a political party, but really on, you know, my, hopefully, Just, my, my knowledge. So, <laughs> so, so, so definitely there's, there's part of it of get out your house and go meet yes. other people. Yes, and absolutely. Access yeah. may happen that ne- then turn into purposeful. Exactly. You got it down. <laughs> Awesome. AJ. Now, Chuck, Chuck, the, the, sure. I had a question, you know, as I was preparing and, and looking through all the stuff in which you do. Um, and, and like you said, you've been in, enthralled within cybersecurity for the past past decade or so. And so as you as you're looking forward, um, where do you think the threat landscape is, is changing or where it's shifting to? And, and, and what's on the horizon that that as business leaders that we should be aware of, or at least, you know, up, oh, yep. Keep this in the back of our mind that, you know, this is something that we need to start looking at addressing or being prepared to address. In well, the it is really more, and I'd say it's really more mostly in the last couple of years uh, before it was like, you know, I'm not going to be a target. No, you know, it's sure. I don't need to worry so much. Now it's that everything is a target, particularly small and medium businesses, which are half the attacks. And you saw a really uptick in, in the amount of attacks against healthcare companies educational institutions, et cetera, uh, during COVID, because uh, they were really easy targets, uh, easy to get in these networks, you know, not, not well guarded, small budgets, et cetera. So uh, that's why uh, you, you, you uh, realize that the, the game has changed and, and partially the reason it's changed is because of ransomware, you know, that it's, you know, it's, everything is, is, you know, in, in crime is usually related to, to financial gain uh, and extortion. 
So uh, they said, well, we can get paid now. Before they couldn't get paid. Now they got cryptocurrencies and prepaid cards. They have ways of, of evading law enforcement. So it became really popular. And, you know, ransomware has been around for almost 20 years, but it, now it's, it's, it's booming as a business and being used by criminal enterprises all over the world um, and, and looking at anyone they could, could target that's easy. And they're also automating it, you know, through phishing attacks. So no surprise that this has really become, you know, really uh, important issue for, for business. No, absolutely. And, and it's funny, I'm going to jump a question that I had uh, prepared. It was related to the Forbes article that you released a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you talk, and it was, it was interesting. AJ and I have talked about this in the past about how educational research was like far and away, you know, the biggest, you know, well above even military. Is that, do you truly believe it's just lack of resources that's made them an easy pickings or is there something beyond that? Well, it's, it's, it's like a false confidence. You know, you're talking about, um, we're talking about mostly institutions and education. Um, there's also some mm -hmm. endemic issues because a lot of them are built up with multiple networks. Every department has their own IT. You've got your <laughs> students, everyone's connected. Congress is too like many that avenues too. <laughs> to, 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 to corrupt it. And, and also they got money. You know, they're, they're pay, they pay the ransomware. So again, they're, they're uh, getting mm -hmm. targeted because uh, of that reason. And uh, you know, it's, and, and it's the same thing with, with hospitals for a different reason. Hospitals really uh, also made up of a lot of disparate networks and healthcare facilities, but, you know, they put their money into medical equipment uh, and paid little attention. They have legacy systems to set security. And again, that's why the hackers attack them too. And it's a different situation uh, because I think, I think this is really that universities didn't really pay attention and, and, and healthcare, even though they paid attention a little bit, they just didn't have the resources to help it. But hopefully that'll change. Do you think, you know, you know, from, I'll just say from my perspective that the, what seemed to put it on the, the big spectrum, of course, was Colonial Pipeline last year. You know, that that yeah. to me was kind of that breakthrough <clears throat> moment to the general public at large. I mean, I don't know about you. We saw the gas lines around here, just the panic that set in where other things, I would say, are just as big, if not. Well, I don't want to necessarily bigger, but Log4j and SolarWinds. But if we look back in five to 10 years where we've made some progress, do you think the Colonial Pipeline may be that that trigger? That, that kind of shifted the gears in the public? I think it was a wake-up call because it affected everyone, you know, particularly, you know, the truckers, transportation, food industry, all along the East Coast. And so how easy it was to for a, a hacker to do. And it also brought attention to the, the interrelationship between OT and IT <coughs> systems. Sure. And, yep. you know, they, they're they different and they just had to turn it off. They didn't have a, you know, a, you know even though it was an IT attack, they didn't know. So I think uh, you saw a lot of... Uh, legislation come out of this uh, White House memorandum on critical infrastructure. And now they're, they're looking at this in a much serious, more serious way at fortifying procedures, uh, having, you know, a software bill of materials, doing all kinds of stuff that they can do mm -hmm. um, aside of actually procuring a lot of the technology that needed to, to reinforce and fortify it. But it, it is, it was a wake up call. And I think uh, you're seeing critical infrastructure uh, respond a little bit. Uh, because most of it's owned by the private sector, about 85% of it. So uh, it's, yeah. you know, uh, we're all dependent upon it. So they need to, to put their their efforts in security as a top priority. Now, Chuck, you mentioned something just there and talking about the conversions of OT and IT and, and how, you know, 
that's becoming more of a target across the board. Um, and especially as we look at manufacturers that are looking at, you know, incorporating more robotics and more automation to offset the lack of workforce uh, and the shortage in the workforce. And so when we look at that and we're talking to, you know, you know, let's say we've got some of those, those guys that are running these companies listening in on this, on this show, you know, where should they start? I mean, because a lot of times, you know, they're, they're implementing more technology to, to streamline efficiencies and operational workflows within their business. But at the same time, I don't think that they're taking a, 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 a look at how that changes their their risk profile. And so for those guys that are listening, where, where should they be looking at? Where should they be starting? How should they go about approaching this so that they don't find themselves on the wrong side of a cyber Well, attack? they need to take a risk management approach. And uh, that's it's industry specific. And there's a lot of uh, ways to go about it. And this offers all kinds of industry type risk management architecture that you can borrow. But basically it's the same thing. You really have to look at what you're trying to protect, what assets you have. You have to know, uh, verify what assets you actually have in the system. Most companies don't even know what's connected to their networks. And, and then you have to do, uh, <laughs> thirdly, you have to be able to, to test and penetrate them, do penetration testing and, and all and see what, what's vulnerable, what's capable. And then you have to evaluate what technologies you need to, to orchestrate or integrate into your system. What's really necessary? Do you need encryption? Uh, do you need to also have uh, workforce education of your employees? Do you need to segment your networks? Uh, do you need to go to the cloud and, and use or hybrid cloud? There's a lot of different variables that any business could follow. But I think it really does start with the understanding of a risk management uh, process and also bringing in some outside expertise. And that's why I recommend that all, all companies, no matter how big or small, uh, should have security experts as part of their board, uh, people that understand that uh, we're now in a different era than we were uh, a decade ago. It's a digital era, and every company's reputation and, and operational capabilities are at risk if they don't take even the basic uh, uh, actions to make sure that they're protected. For the organizations that are, you know, lacking resources, and, and what I mean by that, maybe they don't have the people, then maybe they just haven't put the money into it. Obviously, if you go through training, you go through risk management, they kind of give you these rough formulas. How often does a risk occur? What's the impact? And you're kind of using the force in a way to kind of guide yourself. Is there, for someone that knows, hey, we need to do something and they want to know how much to allocate in a budget, do you have like a I'm just, for lack of a better term, a percentage within budgetary top line revenue or something like that to go, if you're not spending X amount of revenue like they do in marketing, they, I think the rule of thumb used to be you need to spend 10% of your revenue on marketing to, to for future growth. Is there something along that line that we're getting to that's going to be a general rule of thumb as everything is just connected? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good, you know, uh, measurement. Um, if you're going to spend it on marketing, uh, you need to spend the same amount on security. Because if you, if you don't have security, you're going to have no marketing or sales. So, uh, you know, at 10%, sure. it's, it's difficult to say each company is a little different uh, depending upon their capabilities. Also, managed services they can use if you're a smaller, smaller business. Use an outside service to do all your work and protection for you. Um, and, and then there's other things they can do that don't cost much, which is, you know, obviously uh, multi-factor authentication passwords, um, very easy to do. Um, you know, obviously segmenting your secure data and backing it up. And, and then encryption packages aren't expensive either. So, I mean, the real, the real lesson is you don't want to make yourself a low-hanging uh, fruit. You want to make it as difficult as possible. Right. And, and you don't want them. To, they're going to go where it's easiest. And they often do. They're, they're, they're looking at this for a, uh, you know for their own benefit, unless it's state-sponsored where they're, they're trying to create issues and do nuisance or, 
or gather and steal secrets, which is also a consideration with, with larger companies <laughs> since uh, a lot of IP is being stolen um, uh, by the Chinese and others. Um, you have to look at things in, right. in, in different ways. So I think for if I give advice to small and medium businesses, I think you know you know go out and invest uh, initially in some expertise to tell you what to do. Don't just don't try to do it without knowing how to do it. Let's throw people around. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think you, you made a good point there, Chuck. And it's something that that I constantly preach to people, which is most cyber attacks are crimes of opportunity. And I kind of draw the comparison to car break-ins. If you ask a police officer, most car break-ins is because you left your door handle unlocked, and they pop the door handle, they get in. It's not smashing your windows unless they see something of value. So uh, I, I like that analogy. Um, segmenting a little bit uh, off of that, but not so much. Um, one of the big buzzwords that's out there in the market space right now is zero trust and deploying a zero trust environment. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on that for as far as you know businesses looking to uh, deploy a zero trust framework within their yeah. organization? I mean, it is a, it's becoming a cliche buzzword, but I think it's valuable. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact is that you look at zero trust; it forces you to have risk management approach. I mean, you got to start from somewhere, so. Uh, you know, there's no absolute uh, definition of what zero trust is. It involves a lot of incorporates a lot of different elements, but you know, it really is following uh, a risk management process and not trusting anything connected to your network, whether it be a person or a device. And and the first thing you have to do is discover what's connected and who has access to what administrative <laughs> privilege. So that that's beneficial, and uh, I think particularly with government, it has a different meaning because I think, you know, we have a lot of legacy systems, which are really difficult to go back to a zero trust approach, but maybe it's forcing us to look at newer technologies and replacement, you know, because we're really operating with some of our equipment 34 years old. And, uh, you know, it really is a problematic way. And we've been doing defense in depth and having lots of different layers. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's expensive and redundant. But I think if you look at, you know, zero trust, it really is a, a sort of a message. Or we're all going to be on the same boat. We're all vulnerable. Let's find out, you know, uh, what we have first in our inventory connected to us. And let's, let's build around and secure it. So in that sense, I think it's a good thing. I'm going to throw some of your own numbers back at you from your article for the last, for the, for the last thing from your Forbes article. Uh, it was it was reported that 2021 that ransomware itself was about 20 billion dollars, and that's expected to 10x over the next 10 years. So you're looking at 265 billion, with the average attack running about uh, 1.85 million. With the notoriety that's now seems to have hit mainstream, I mean, my parents who are retired are actually making comments to me about this, which they never would have ever in the past. With how far in the future do you see that that exponential growth curve will finally at a minimum start to either slow down a little bit or maybe flatten? So it's, it's just not so, you know, in 10 more years, we're not looking at another <laughs> yeah. 10X uh, of this, that we've actually made a dent in this and not just fighting ourselves. You know, it's going to be a few years because I think we're, we're also uh, at the same time fighting the growth of connectivity and we're adding a lot of uh, devices, particularly internet of things devices by I think in five years, we'll have three more times, three, if every person will have three devices connected to them or more, um, you know, I think probably a lot more. Um, so you're, you're creating more targets of, of entry, uh, which yeah. makes it difficult. So I think, but the, the, the other countervailing uh, thing is what you just said with you, you know, people are starting to recognize the importance of cybersecurity in, in our commerce and, and the importance of uh, keeping our finances and, 
and, and actually ever doing anything we do on social media or whatever we're doing. So we're, we're, we're transitioning to a, a fully digital world, uh, probably faster than we thought we ever would because of COVID and other things. But uh, so I think, you know, the, the balance there uh, has to happen with a larger educational and outreach and advocacy. But uh, so to answer your question, I, I'm not optimistic about the short term, but I think in the long term, you know, maybe we have some motivating technology capabilities. In my yeah. lifetime? Maybe with automation and maybe, maybe. With hardening of, of yeah. some of the stuff, you know, I think, you know, there must be some, I mean, there, there's ways to fortify and make yourself, you know, it's expensive for most people, but maybe if sure. it, it gets, you know, uh, to the point where the consumer can afford something that, that really works, uh, the combination of hardware, software, security, maybe we'll make a dent in it. With, you actually kind of touched on that briefly because it was, is there anything new that's that you've seen that you're privy to coming down that's got you kind of excited that hey this isn't this isn't uh, flushed out enough yet for for mainstream but there's some stuff coming to, to bring yeah. some hope. Well, I've, I've seen a lot of the, the early technology with machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, although it depends how you define artificial intelligence, a lot of that is is very hopeful. Right. You know, for for horizon scanning and vulnerability assessments and analysis and discovering patterns. I mean, that, that works. Um, it's also being used by the bad guys too to, to do a lot of automation <laughs> and finding vulnerabilities. So uh, um, it works both ways, but I think that's a very encouraging uh, technology. Also, I think you know, there's some interesting polymorphic encryption type technologies being developed and other things that that uh, don't have to be expensive that could be useful. Uh, still, most of the data is not encrypted, you know, that was stolen, including government, all, you know, all the all the clearances and stuff that were stolen a few years back at OPM were not even encrypted. So I think there's some potential uh, interesting uh, technologies, largely uh, boosted by artificial intelligence that will sort of make, uh, you know, even the game for the lack of cyber experts out there, but some, some automation of a lot of the, the capabilities, including the discovery of a lot of the, the, the uh, anomalies on the system, which will you know be important. Hey, Chuck, you mentioned kind of the, the shortage of technology experts out in the field. And so for those that are interested, I mean, like I said, you just talked on a bunch of the new up and coming and new trending things that are on the horizon. For somebody who's looking at getting into the cybersecurity space as it stands right now, where would you recommend that they start? Like, here's a good starting point if you're wanting to uh, start a career in cybersecurity. Like I said, you started yours back in 2003 and have advanced quite a bit since then. Uh, so for somebody coming in new, where would you recommend that they start to yeah, get Well, I think right now out? there's so many opportunities in, in both and hopefully in high school and in college, with co not just coding, but, but actually on technology courses and where everything's going with emerging and disruptive technologies. Uh, that's a really good way to get involved. And there's also a lot of uh, interesting certifications out there, you know, CompTIA, SANS and others doing some really interesting training. And, uh, you know, cybersecurity is not all technical either. It involves policy, it involves sales, it involves management. So I think everything pertains to it. So I think, you know, it's really, you have to look at it at a holistic point. But um, I think part of the way to do that is just get involved with a lot of the, uh, you know, maybe internships um, that are out there. There's a lot of companies looking to, to train on, on point. Um, you know, if you're an engineer, go that way because there's certainly a lack of engineers and, and those will always be valuable. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunities. Probably, there is so much opportunity that they pretty much could write their own salary if they, if they have a technical background. So good. Hold on. <laughs> I got to go do some stuff now. <laughs> so we had, uh, we had Joel Charlotte on from Cyberbytes, and he's into VR and XR. And we were kind of discussing uh, 
how a lot of things, they go to market without security baked into them. And we were talking about all the data points, all the privacy issues that VR is going to, to bring in. With our with our rush to get something to market, because we've got to get that ROI back as quick, quickly as possible and security is an afterthought, is that something you think we're going to see a shift on? Or is that something that we've really got to start hammering the companies during the design and development phases to start baking this in, even if it's something that turns out to be not market I think we, we should learn the lesson from building the Internet itself, which is built for communications and that security. And uh, we need to, to really look as we move to the, the virtual world in the meta person, et cetera, we really need to focus on security elements because you're dealing with privacy too. And you're now also dealing with biometrics mm -hmm. of people's facial recognition and everything else. And you talk about Big Brother, you know, it's really a, a scary scenario. You know, you, you know, you watch a couple of Twilight Zones and you can see it's not that far off. You know, <laughs> so I really think security needs to be hammered. And, and uh, there's a lot of privacy organizations pushing stuff out there. But, you know, companies usually will do what, what's easiest for them. And, and if they have the revenues, uh, so it's it's a it's a tough tough sell. Right. I know mean, Europe is ahead in that sense with GDPR. I mean, they force you to, to disclose any kind of uh, personal information you're using, and, and you know we don't have that here, but we have some elements of it happening. So I'm, usually I'm not a big government regulation guy, but I think you know I think the more we can do it to ensure our privacy and, and freedoms in this sense, the better it is. And I worry about a next generation that's sort of engulfed in this this uh, virtual world that. You know, they're, they're too detached from reality that uh, they're not going to even be concerned with this stuff. They don't they overshare already on social media and do things. And I think it's going to be, yeah. you know, very problematic when they get to the point where they have responsibilities and uh, are earning livings and have to pay for families. They're going to be easy targets. <laughs> So I, I agree with that. It's one of the things I've got a 17 year old son and that's one of the things I tell him all the time is that, you know, everything's not what it appears on the internet. And just because it's out there, you know, you got to be careful how you're engaging. Um, and, and so one of the things that, you know, as, as I was listening to you just now, when we look at the, the shift from, you know, physical into this new metaverse and things of that nature, uh, and the way in which, uh, you know, you touched on how, how government and, issuing policies will will help to, to you know, kind of rein some of that stuff in. I look at the insurance industries and with all the cyber insurance and the talk there, do you think that they're going to really kind of help to steer our, our industry when it comes to cybersecurity? Because, you know, you've got a lot of businesses out there that aren't, quote unquote, regulated. You know, the regulated industries, it's easy. You have to meet the letter of this law. But then for everybody else that's not regulated, do you think that at some point, either insurance or there's going to be some overarching regulatory body that's going to help to try to push this? Because I think, or and do you think that that's necessary in order to make these changes and steps in, in progress when it comes to Yeah, I think it's a good, I mean, I think, you know, because of the, you know, the reality of so many companies going under and, and being hit and, and, and the impact it's having right now. So I think, Insurance will play a role. And when you have insurance, you need to meet the requisites of you doing the basics so you're not going to get paid. So I think anything that, that makes them do that is a good thing. Um, it's been slow to start right now, I think, you know, with, with insurance and catch on. But uh, I think it's going to rapidly change, you know, again, as we keep moving further and further into the digital world and, and more and more crime happens. I mean, less, this year was 50% more crime than, than the year before. That's a lot. A lot of records breached. And a lot of money taken. So, uh, you know, and I, and I also yeah. think that you're seeing a lot more law enforcement uh, directed now, you know, into this area of, of digital crime, too, than they were in the past. So I think uh, you're going to have incentives to, to push uh, for insurance. 
speaking of the policies and, and uh, AJ is going to love me asking, asking about this. What was your, your initial impression and thought of how the department of defense started doing the CMMC rollout to all of the federal contractors. I will keep my commentary <laughs> yeah. to myself, but, <laughs> but as, as you've seen this evolve now into version 2.0 and going into rulemaking, how do you feel like this was handled? Well, it wasn't handled very well. Speaking of enforcing. <laughs> well, let's put it that way. I mean, the idea of having, uh, you know, contractors adhere to some basic cyber hygiene is a good idea. But it, it was sort of done arbitrarily without the input of a lot of the companies themselves and the people in there. They tried to rush it. And when you rush things yeah. in government, yeah. it doesn't usually work. Um, and, and uh, you know, there, it's a very big bureaucratic process. And, and, and you know, I think that uh, they've had to, you know, sit back and look at all the mistakes they made. And hopefully they're moving forward in a better way. But it really was a, you know, it, it was just too arbitrary. It wasn't, it wasn't done. In a, in a way that you really figure out where it's going to bring utility. And I think that was the problem with it. That's what my concern is talking about, you know, for unregulated industries that may have to transition into some sort of enforcement that we're going to see 9,000 versions of that across, you know, whatever subsector of the, of the business world that you may be operating in where everybody's going to come up with all these little micro rule sets and then just jam it down their throat um, and say, all right, and you're on your own. <laughs> so I, I, you know, yeah, bureaucracy can be inhibiting too. And it could be a it could create more security problems yes. than, than there are. So you really have to make it streamlined. Right. So it, you know, it, it applies in a good way, you know, and, and maybe we're asking to do too much on these CMMC uh, prototype stuff, just keep some basic things in here, you know, and, and follow those. Yeah, well, it, the joke that I saw actually on LinkedIn today was somebody was flipping through a book where, and they were saying it was DOD just marking everything as uh, GUI. <laughs> they said, we're going to make this easy on ourselves. Controlled on classified information for those who are not uh, familiar with the term. But so everybody's going to do it. Anyway, I, 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 I had to uh, take the opportunity sure. to ask your, your thoughts on that, as that's just an evolving thing. Well, we're, we're coming close on, on time. AJ, you got any, uh, any closing questions, comments, thoughts for, uh, for Chuck? Um, last closing question I, I would have would just be kind of off, off the cuff. You know, with somebody that's doing something that is doing so much, I mean, we read your bio, your, your bio and there was so much in there. Uh, how do you find time to do it all? And, and how do you balance work and life? Because a lot of the executives that are going to be listening to this show, you know, they, they struggle with work-life balance. And for somebody who is enthralled in so many different things, how do you find work-life balance? That, that's a great question. I, you know, I think there's some factors that change things the last couple of years because I've been mostly in the house. <laughs> so I'm able to do a lot of these conferences <laughs> that are in Sweden and UAE or wherever they're India from the, from my chair in my office. So that's works. I don't have to travel, but you're right. I mean, I'm like, uh, like you, I have my, my, my kids are uh, one's in college, one's out of college. So they're, they're operating more independently now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's much easier to sort of allocate time, personal time for, for business, but I try and balance it, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, I think partially you have to have that kind of, uh, personality where you, you love to continue to learn and read. I mean, the hardest thing I do is teach because you have to be prepared for, for two hours and a half every week and you have to have a lot of materials. And yeah. if you could do that, everything else seems easier. And, and having been through the corporation <laughs> stuff, you know, I don't have the politics now that I had to deal with all the time with the different things. And so it's nice being on my own. Um, 
but at the same time, you have clients and you have responsibility to clients, and they're always a priority no matter where you are when vacation. But to get that, the, the bottom line is I'm insomniac, and I do a lot of my writing at night, <laughs> of the night and uh, you know, and and uh, and I, I work out a lot when I when I can to try and, and balance that. Just lifts for fun. I used to be a competitive powerlifter. So. <laughs> Oh, nice. nice. See, all of us on this call like to lift. And so it's, Unless it's, it's you're shoulder rows. Unless you got a broken wing. Yeah, I have no cartilage left in my right shoulder. <laughs> me for me. me. Yeah. Interesting. Right shoulder yeah. for me as well. Right shoulder for mm-hmm. me. So, uh, just uh, as, as we wrap up, tell us about your your consulting, if anybody wants to, and how people can reach out to you. Sure, and the areas that. that you actually specifically yeah. serve, since you're in yeah. everything. No, I mean, I do, I do real consulting for business strategy and stuff like that, but I do also a lot of uh, okay. influence stuff. Companies ask me to, to write blogs and do, do things like that and, and, and promote their product. So I, I do that. And, and the easiest way to reach me is, is usually LinkedIn. Um, you know, because I, I constantly have that on, and, and and you can always see the messages. They don't get lost like they do in sometimes the email. You know that they're in the spam. There's no spam on LinkedIn, so you know, uh, no folder at least for that. So uh, I was going to say, I've got some messages to show you. And I always get, you know, I miss it. Like, wait a minute, I don't have that link. It, it's in my spam in my email. And so at least when I contact me on LinkedIn, I always see it. You know, and I have the website too, but I always prefer the LinkedIn. Awesome. Good to know. Well, Chuck, really appreciate the time. And yes. uh, hopefully you'll be able to, to do yeah, it Yeah, that was fun. Was great. Yeah, I thank you. Blast. Yeah, absolutely. This was great. Yes, thank you for your time and, and for sharing and imparting on everybody uh, with your infinite wisdom and experience that you've had in the cyber <laughs> well, Thank you space. for having me. Appreciate it. And have a great weekend. <laughs>